This year, we launched a new Goop travel series called The Goop List. I wanted a way to share annually what I found to be the best of the best, from my favorite places to stay in Italy to a truly special spa in Costa Rica. If you are inspired to travel more this year, perhaps because you perused our recommendations on the Goop list, hosting on Airbnb is excellent for people who frequently travel. The beauty of hosting on Airbnb is that while you're away, someone else can get as much joy from your home as you do. Alongside frequent travelers, Airbnb is also great for those who have extra space or an in-law suite that isn't always being used. If you've stayed at an Airbnb before, you know the unique experience it offers. Now you can share that same experience with others while earning some extra income. To learn more about hosting on Airbnb, head to airbnb.com host. When you are pioneering anything or introducing new ideas to the culture, you get criticized. You do? Yeah, did you hear about that? <laughs> I didn't find the one. I found someone I respected and we made it the one. In a sort of longing kind of view of love, people understand each other as if by magic. Nothing in itself is addictive on the one hand. On the other hand, everything could be addictive if there's an emptiness in that person that needs to be filled. I now know that nobody changes until they change their energy. And when you change your energy, you change your life. I'm Gwyneth Paltrow. This is the Goop Podcast bringing together thought leaders, culture changers, creatives, founders and CEOs, scientists, doctors, healers and seekers, here to start conversations, because simply asking questions and listening has the power to change the way we see the world. Here we go. Today's guest is somebody really special, because it is my husband, Brad Falchuk. We sat down together right before my birthday to talk about turning 50. Brad shared his perspective on navigating milestones and changes as we age, but we also reflected on what our parents were like when they were 50 and how our own children have recontextualized who we are and our purpose in life. We talk about step parenting, reinventing second marriages, grief, and what we're looking forward to in this next phase of our lives. So let's get to the conversation between myself and Brad Falchuk. When we first met, you were, I think, 38. Mm-hmm. So I knew you when you turned 40. That's true, but not in this capacity. No, clearly. But I, I knew you as a person then, as mm-hmm. a friend then, and yep. I know you a person turning 50. What do you think the difference are between when you were 40 and when you were 50? Well... When I was 40, I, I think I, I was really having a hard time with turning 40. And I've talked about this a lot leading up to this birthday. I had a flip out about physical aging. I went to the dermatologist in London and got like the worst Botox and like I panicked. What do you think it was? Well, I think it was a few things. We've talked about this before, but I think when you grow up kind of considered an attractive woman in the culture and you 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 make your whole career off of that in a sense like of course I mean I think that I had talent and I had something to contribute in the acting profession but I also you know was very objectified and you know you get parts because people think you're attractive right so partially yeah Partially, or my kind of parts anyway, right? So I wasn't being cast in the character actor parts. I was like a leading lady. So I think I had a, I think it was just a bit of an identity crisis, figuring out like what if I wasn't sexually desirable? What did that make me? And if I wasn't, you know, pretty in the same way. It was just like weird things, you know, it's like you go from sort of stopping traffic to like, a, a guy like not looking at you as you drive by, you know. I mean, I no, I mean, I would, I wouldn't, I would never characterize you as somebody who doesn't always stop traffic. But I, I get that you're talking about your your perception of of things, right? And this is ten years ago too, and I obviously I had a lot going on, and it was like 
my first marriage was not in good shape and I wanted to move back to America and there was just a lot going on. It was a very intense time and and so I had a lot of anxiety, a lot of anxiety, which I, I don't I don't feel now. Well, how many years did it take you not to feel that anxiety? Like, did you keep caring about those things or did you just start to settle in? And I think I started to settle in and recalibrate and just relate to myself differently. You know, it's like this thing that I'm working on now about bringing ease and acceptance in and like accepting that my body's not the same or my metabolism's not the same or that you know, I have wrinkles. It's kind of like a beautiful adjustment if you start to make it more consciously. Do you feel beautiful now? I think there was a time where I was not adjusting to it and I was like fighting it in the past couple of years more, but now I think I feel better now. I mean, that's <laughs> funny. No, I'm smiling <laughs> at you. I think, I think you should certainly feel beautiful. I mean, not to be goofy about it, but I just, you know, curious about your experience of yourself. Because was your experience at yourself when you were 30 that you were beautiful? Or 25 when you thought you were no. beautiful? Mm-mm. What was that your experience of your, of your appearance then? I was so critical of myself. You know, I always thought something was wrong. And when you see pictures of yourself now, when you were that age, do you say, oh, she's really beautiful? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, why? Why did I spend so much time <laughs> criticizing myself? But... Is it different for men? I mean, do you guys go through anything? When you turn 50, did you have any of this? What is it like for men? I feel like for a woman, it's so related to physical appearance, like pulchritude, beauty. Is there like a crisis that happens around virility or like longevity or what is it like for men? Well, I mean, obviously, culturally, we're, you know, things aren't set up for us to have that worry, mm-hmm. you know, like virility. I mean, there are people having kids when they're 90-year-old men. And yeah. certainly, you know, men's need to be physically attractive is not, uh, is not the same. I mean, it's really not much at all, to tell you the truth. Really? I mean, well, you think about it. There's certainly a lot of men out there that are having experiences in life in terms of being relevant culturally and having partners and that, you know, it's not because they're beautiful. That's true. So I don't think we're, we're supposed to think about that, but as somebody who's always sort of tried to take care of your, myself, it's like you, you sort of, you notice, as you said, that things just aren't, don't work the same way. I, I, I think I've struggled more with just more of, you know, like, wow, I'm walking slower. Wow, I can't, you know, go skiing and do that run and not be totally wiped out afterwards or... I certainly yeah, can't really run like anymore. Yeah, because you like curl yourself off of the face of a mountain. You can't after a while, you know. You just you're, you you know mentally I can do it and I have the skills to do it, but physically it's like wow, my knees hurt so much I can't ski the next day, okay. or being able to just just stop running one day. One day it's like I just can't run anymore because just it just doesn't feel good on my body. Do you find yourself like stopping and taking stock and thinking about what you've accomplished or? disappointments or anything like did that happen to you when you turned 50 I mean it's happening to me a lot I don't know if it's because everyone keeps fucking asking me how does it feel to turn 50 (laughs) well you're turning 50 very publicly obviously it's something that um I mean of course people are going to ask you and also your experience of things and your perception of things is something that people put a lot of value in because you have a you have a sensitivity and a way of communicating that sensitivity that is obviously very valuable to people. So people want to hear what you have to say because it contextualizes things for people. That's always what one of your great gifts. So Thank there's you. a lot of people obviously out there that both the people that know you and love you and are friends with you, but also people that you know are consumers of your products and, and love your website and also just are out in the world who want to know what you have to say about it because it helps them understand how they feel about it, either as they're turning 50 or they did or mm. as they age themselves. So. so did anybody ask you how you felt about it? I mean, I'm sure you did. Uh, <laughs> and I'm sure I gave you a disappointing answer because <laughs> the number one topic I don't want to discuss is me. But I think it was less of a, less of a taking stock because it wasn't like you were putting things on either side of a scale to say, well, how did I do so far? But it was much more of like looking at the collection of things of who, who am I right now in my life and what mm-hmm. have I accomplished and 
who am I showing up as in the world for the people I love and my kids and all that. I mean, the actual experience was, you know, if for some reason tomorrow it's over, it would be greedy for me to say like, oh, I, I should have had more. I deserve more. I wanted to do more things. It's like, it's been full. You know, I have a lot more I want to do and, and, and certainly want to spend a lot more time with you. But I think what I realized then was like, oh, this is where I am in this moment in life and I've done okay. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't miss anything in those times. That's great. So it was, yeah, more, more of that. But I think that's also maybe part of the thing about turning 50 specifically is that you really are at a place when you're not looking forward in the same way. You're right. not looking like for all the things you're going to do in the next however many years because so many of the questions have been answered. It's like, you know, who are your kids going to be? What's your career going to be? Who's your spouse going to be? Where are you going to live? It's like these big things, these big choices in life have kind of been made. And so you're, you're relieved from it, yeah. you know? And I'm fortunate that, that I didn't have a lot of regrets at that, at that time. When you turned 50. Yeah. Mm. It wasn't that long ago, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but fundamentally, it's like, I mean, the truth is, and I, 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 you know, I, I'd say this to anybody, not just talking to you, is that, is that you know, our marriage and being with you is the thing that balances everything out. Like everything else could have fallen apart. Obviously, you want your kids to be healthy. That's a separate thing. Could have fallen apart. And it's like being with you and, and what we have together, it was, an, it was enough to just to say, I'm fine. Like, I did it. You know what I mean. I do. I actually do know what you mean. <laughs> right? It's like, yeah, just us in a little cabin somewhere. It's like, we're fine. I know. We're, we got lucky. Mm-hmm. You're in really good shape. Oh, thank you. <laughs> and so are you. Well, thanks. So I, I think we tend, as a couple, I mean, we were not concerned about longevity, but as long as we live, we want to be kind of as live as optimally as possible and feel as good and as energetic as possible what are the things that you're doing to feel good what is your wellness routine brad oh my god tell the listeners that's such a funny way to put it a wellness routine it's like i don't know if i have a wellness routine but yes you I, do well i i exercise right right and so and i try and exercise in ways that are not too straining on my body Mm-hmm. So I, I work out with a trainer three days a week, great trainer named Harley Pasternak, mm-hmm. really best in the world. And we, we, we lift weights, but we lift weights with this philosophy of, it used to be when you were younger, it was like, how much can I do? And now our philosophy is, how little can I do to get to the optimum space so that we never get hurt? Because hmm. as you get older, you're just more likely to get hurt. And so I do that, and then I, I, I started surfing a few years ago, and so I try and do that a couple times a week. And I walk. The world's first surfer who's too petrified to swim in the ocean because of Jaws, but will be out on a surfboard it's all day. It's very strange. It just shows you that the fear is completely psychological. I'm not actually <laughs> afraid. But if you asked me to go where I am on a surfboard with no surfboard swimming in the water, I'd freak out. If I ask you to go in a pond, you're true, scared. True, true, true. You I think know. Jaws is in the pond? Could be. <laughs> I mean, the movie he's in a pond. Really? Yeah, there's a whole famous scene. It's like the shark, shark in the pond. It's going into the pond. I've never seen mm-hmm. the movie because I didn't want my ocean swimming experience to be True. deleteriously impacted. It's the greatest. <laughs> but so I surf, and that's been great. Really, really good, as uh, both in terms of being in the ocean and the salt water and also just learning something new and the different kind of good coordination it takes. Good for your brain. And also really good for your body. The paddling and everything is really good for... Your fitness. Yeah. And then I cold plunge every day. Do you know? Yeah, I know. Just so everyone knows, Brad's children make fun of him basically every day about his love of cold plunging. It's made such a big difference. I'm uh, curious about the cold plunge because this is something I'm trying to catch up with you and add this to my wellness routine. I had spinal cord surgery in 2008. It was pretty, pretty intense. And since then, because they damaged the spinal cord to do it, I have had pain. And nothing has really helped with the pain. Little things here and there. The only thing that takes the pain away for a little bit is getting in that cold plunge for a few minutes. And how does it do that? Why does it work? Apparently, it's about inflammation. And so it helps with inflammation acutely. But also, it's a little bit about trauma, is that your body reacts to the trauma of the colds. 45 degrees, it's really cold. And your body reacts to the trauma of the cold. So that when you're not in the cold and you're out, 
you're neurologically you say to your your body says to itself you're not in trauma anymore now it's okay and so everything relaxes and mm -hmm. i think that when you have a bad injury even though i guess the surgery is not an injury your body is always in that fear of that trauma it's always like there's something wrong there's something wrong there's something wrong and so it tightens up right and so i think the cold plunge really helps with that i think it's it's helps the nervous system as well yeah right. i love it I live for it. Obviously, I'm I'm a, a, a big uh, preacher for the cold plunge. I know. I know, and you're getting better. You got like a minute, minute and a half now. You're getting in there almost. Mm, I'm not sure about a minute and a half, but a minute. I mean, your wellness routine is kind of world famous and changes all the time. It it's, changes all the time. I think it it goes through through phases where you you see and learn new things. Yeah. You no. Know? What have you seen me find or? How has it changed? Well, I mean, I think obviously the uh, that infrared sauna has really been yeah. over the last few years a big a big thing for you. Dry brushing. Dry brushing. You're, there's always some different supplement. There's lots of lots of supplements going down at different times a day, and and you got your <laughs> your, your, your your greens, right? Your essential yep. greens. Athletic greens. Athletic greens. Sorry. sorry. How dare you? I, and you've got um, your paleo diet, which we're both on. We're both on, yeah. Which is also a big, big change for anti-inflammation. It seems like inflammation is everything, right? It yes. seems like at least that's what people are thinking right now. That's such a big part of health is yep. inflammation. Mm -hmm. And so we're just on that inflammation diet. And I think it's definitely made a big difference. I think it has too. Sometimes it erodes the joy a little bit, but that's okay. I mean, do you feel, how do you feel in terms of wellness at this point in your life? Do you feel the most well you've ever felt? Not necessarily physically well because your the body gets older but right no it's a i mean i think it's a complicated question to answer only because there are all those aspects and like i feel emotionally more well than i've ever felt thanks to you <laughs> <laughs> but that's a big part uh, of it right that's yes, huge yes beyond i mean that seems to be like i feel like it doesn't matter how fit you are if you're not emotionally well that's right then you're there's nothing that's right I mean, honestly, like between you and the kids and sort of harmony in, in our lives and like that is the biggest part for me. So in, in, that, in that sense, also in like actually knowing who I am and accepting who I am and being my own friend, like that's something that happened in the last like probably five years or so. I mean, I, I still physically feel pretty well. I have some, you know, knee and back, whatever, but like I feel pretty good. I'm still dealing with some of the, you know, long-term stuff from mold and COVID. I still feel like I'm battling that inflammation a little bit. And so that's brain fog and fatigue, but I, that's also coming in conjunction with perimenopause. Like there's just a lot happening. And then I have a lot of work stress. I'm not sure if you've noticed I've, I've noticed a couple things, a couple things every now and then. I don't know if you've noticed me awake in the middle of the night or like sobbing in my bathtub because no. of stress levels and empty nest syndrome at the same time. But I think my foundation feels pretty well. And then, you know, so I, I'm trying to weather all those other things that life brings. But I think there are aspects of me that feel better than ever. And then I'm still struggling. It feels. It seems like a very little ever really sticks to you in terms of some of this negativity stuff, and, you know, the stress or an illness or anything like that. It just feels like we're able to process through a lot of stuff more quickly than certainly than years ago. Yeah, I think that's true. Why do you think that is? I think because like just as you accumulate more years, you just realize that actually like everything is going to be okay. Like even if it's not, it is, and you're going to be fine. And you know, by pattern recognition that you just keep getting through stuff. And so things that you absolutely knew were the end of the world, like you ended up waking up the next morning and getting through it. And then there being another problem. And so I think on some level, I just understand that it's all going to be okay. And then then you relate slightly differently to the stress and to the stuff and, and the emotions because you know that, you know, emotions will blow through you. You know that eventually the stress will release itself or, you know, there are tools you can use to, to help. Hmm. Right? Yeah, I think so. 
Yeah, I mean, it's like we were saying before, it's like if there's a foundation of things are basically okay. Let's take a quick break to talk about one of our partners. This year, we launched a new Goop travel series called The Goop List. I wanted a way to share annually what I found to be the best of the best, from my favorite places to stay in Italy to a truly special spa in Costa Rica. If you are inspired to travel more this year, perhaps because you perused our recommendations on the Goop list, hosting on Airbnb is excellent for people who frequently travel. The beauty of hosting on Airbnb is that while you're away, someone else can get as much joy from your home as you do. Alongside frequent travelers, Airbnb is also great for those who have extra space or an in-law suite that isn't always being used. If you've stayed at an Airbnb before, you know the unique experience it offers. Now you can share that same experience with others while earning some extra income. To learn more about hosting on Airbnb, head to airbnb.com host. Okay, let's get back to the conversation. Do you remember what your parents were like in their 50s? trying to think when that would have been so that would have been in the they were born in the 40s so my dad's born in the 40s so the 90s early 90s yeah i mean i guess i was in in college so they were they were very uh dynamic and and in the world and traveling a lot and my dad was starting a new company that was very exciting to him my mom was building her sort of kids out of the house career working with hadassah and so i remember them being very vital Mm-hmm. Very, very into each other. That's I mean, so I'm, nice. I'm sure they seemed old to me at the time, <laughs> right? They weren't like they were. They were physically. They were very physically active people. But I don't. My mother might have exercised, but they weren't exercisers, right? So I don't think that generation was really exercisers. No, they didn't do that. But they seemed not, you know, in the way that that. I mean, obviously, we're very ambitious and working towards new things and all that. But they seemed like they were almost starting. They seemed like they were in their 30s in terms of what their ambitions were for the future wow. at the time. That's impressive. Yeah, I mean, they're cool. I mean, you know, yeah, my dad was super cool. I'm bummed you never got to meet him. No, you did get to him. We never got to really get to know him. I met him a number of times, if you recall, I but recall. it was after his brain injury. So yeah. you always said that it wasn't really meeting him. That's what I mean. It's like you just would have had a blast with him. I mean, he really was... You, I mean... You guys would have just joked in Spanish and hung out and danced and Aww. drunk and eaten and done all those things. So I could have said the same for you with Bruce Paltrow. I know. It's a bummer. Two fatherless kids here. Just I know. I think he would have been your favorite person. I think you would have married him instead of me. <laughs> no, no, I'm good with you. I'm good with you. <laughs> but it is that's that I think is the hardest part of of t- getting older is is that the same it, it is that as I say about like the future is not okay what's next it's that it's that you it's the, when you that's when you start really losing things mm. and so so much of what's coming ahead is is about losing things and so yeah. I mean fortunately it happens at a time I think when you're a little bit more ready to but I, I definitely feel those big losses like our dad's like I feel them not being here with us now yeah. and that makes me feel older I guess mm-hmm. yeah and you and do you remember your parents at 50 I well I did just write an essay about this because I kind of indelibly remember both of their 50th birthdays and it was kind of the jumping off point for me to contemplate my own 50th etc but I I my mom was very, you know, like your mom, working, active. I think they, my parents did travel more once. My brother and I were out of the house. But then my father was diagnosed with cancer, stage four cancer, when he was only 54. I mean, that's crazy when mm. you think about that. Yeah, I mean, that, that probably makes you think about it a lot more. Yeah, no, and I think you're absolutely right. And for sure, it's why, it's a part of why I've been so focused on maintaining good health and a good base baseline of health and you know because it's a little scary and also I don't know I feel like almost the worst part 
is the injury I think that my brother and I had from losing him. And so then you're petrified that it's going to happen to you and you're going to do that to your own kids. Like it's like a God forbid pinch situation. Is that the, is that the most painful part right now? Probably obviously wasn't back then, but is that what is the most scary to think about? Yeah, because I think my father loved me like I love my kids. And so my experience of being so unconditionally loved in that way. I think my kids have that. Mm -hmm. They do. And the thought of me hurting them by dying, you know, like maybe they won't care, but like if they experienced what I experienced, it would be just, I, I, I just can't even fathom it. Like does, I would never want to put them through that. Does that factor into, do you think into the day to day about how you parented and all that? Like my mortality? No, like the fear of that. Is that something that... No, I'm... I don't think so. But, it's a, but, I, but when I'm on a plane, it does, you know? It's right. like those moments where I'm like... Or when I'm going to get a mammogram, it does, you know? Not impact how I parent. It's like my life flashes before my eyes. And I think I wouldn't have that traumatic of response had I not gone through the incredible grief of losing my father. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And it, I mean... With your daughter leaving the house and with you getting closer to your father's age, there is that is it is is that grief is that loss coming back in some way? I mean, obviously, it happened on your thirtieth birthday. So as these big birthdays come, is it coming back? Yeah, I think I think so. I think you know, in a lot of ways, she. Are you gonna make me cry during this podcast? <laughs> You know, I think I think in a lot of ways when she was born, she like she breathed life into my body. She oriented my whole life around like why I was born. You know, it's like Drew said that thing to her kid, I was born the day you were born mm -hmm. and I felt that way. How I, long was it after he died that she was born? Like a year after. Mm -hmm. So or no, sorry, I was pregnant with her on the year anniversary of his death, so a few months after that, like under two years. And I think it was so impactful, and it was like a, a resuscitation. She just gave my life so much meaning, and she helped me find my purpose and joy and all that, and like really broke me out of my grief. I think you've been alluding to this in the kitchen and over coffee time in the mornings, but like there, there is some conflation that's happening between like whatever tail end of unresolved or unfelt grief that I had around my father is like definitely being resurfaced with her leaving the house. Hmm. And I think it's maybe if I was, you know, healthier or waspier or something it wouldn't be bothering me as much but i don't know i'm finding it hard are you finding it hard that izzy's gone well it's obviously really different yeah but i also think it's not a problem like the, what you're going through right now it's like as we were talking about before it's like you're processing through it it's yeah. happening and it's happening in real time and we talk about it in real time and i don't think you're you know you're not suppressing any of those feelings and those you're, it's not coming out in weird ways it's like you're you're just grieving. I just think that That's it's true. a hyper intense version because of, I mean, I just feel like in so many ways you got frozen in time there after your dad yeah. died and, and the grief part of it and over, over little bits of time. And I think in your forties, you did process a lot of it, Yeah. but there's big chunks of it. Cause how could you not? I mean, talk about a traumatic experience. Right. And so I just think this is another thing. And I think, I think she's actually doing unintentionally just by leaving helping you more to to sort of melt some of that that ice that the grief is locked into so you can feel it you know it's like that's your whole relationship with her so much is about that and so she's just doing it more now just my relationship with her is about about what? her on her give like you you said recontextualizing who you are and giving you feeling a sense of purpose but also allowing you to actually feel safe enough to feel to feel some of that really tough stuff mm -hmm. and so by her being away and doing great, it's like allows you to feel the grief without any worry, and so you you get a little bit more of that come out. You know, I don't know. I don't wonder what are you like. 
when a when a dad dies in general, I don't think you ever really get over the grief. I don't think you can, but the way you sort of your particular experience of your closeness to him and and how yeah. it all went down. I was young and it was pretty violent, like with you know all the particulars of how it happened. Yeah, that's the word I would use. Yeah. So I don't know. I think you're doing great, but I I, I do notice that that's. Thanks, that's a part of what's going on now and it's like it's you know it's like there's all these things happening and so turning 50 is like almost feels like secondary to all this other stuff you know you have this way of asking questions what did you ask me this morning you're like do you think that maybe you what was the one this morning i asked if you had postpartum depression <laughs> from, from your child leaving you know like because that's how i was as i've been thinking about it i mean like, look the truth is and you know is that i spent a, a good portion of my you know downtime in my day thinking about you and sort of what's going on with you and so i just was thinking about it and i said oh this is kind of like that it's like there is something about her leaving because you're so close that is sort of like almost her leaving your body that uh, mm-hmm. it felt like there was just something hardcore going on there that deeper than just the typical my kids leaving the house yeah you're doing great. You're doing yeah. great. We'll see. <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> it's hard. I miss her. I know. I mean, but you're supposed to miss her, right? Yeah. You know? You're also having a great time, and the house is sometimes nicely a little quieter. Wasn't that funny when we were having dinner with the boys, and Moses was like, it's so calm. <laughs> We definitely, it's like a, a big shift in terms of the personalities that left the house and the personalities that are still in the house. The girls were so... They're just, they're firstborn girls. They're a they're lot. They're firstborn girls. I yeah. mean, they are... They have personality. Comets. I miss them. Yeah, me too. Yeah. You know what I would I like to ask you honestly? Because you are such a good stepfather. Thanks. Like you are exceptionally good at it. And did you have a strategy going into it or was it instinctual? How would you define yourself as a step-parent? You know, I think you have to define yourself as a step-parent the way you would define yourself as a parent. Like, who am I in, in terms of archetype dad? Like, who am I? And to me, that just means providing stability and guidance and a sense of sort of boundaries for the household and for the family about like this is just who we are and this is what we do and pulling people back into the boundaries when they step out of them and and also just trying to be a be a guide to them from my experience and and and, and my wisdom and you know they they have a great dad right and so the great thing is i don't have to be their dad i don't have to provide the things their dad provides for them their dad's a lot more fun than i am <laughs> you know, and he loves them and spends time with them and all that stuff. So all I have to do is just be dad when I'm the dad in the house. So mm-hmm. when I'm the dad who's present, I'm dad. And, you know, you've always been so great in supporting me in that. And if I have to be a disciplinarian or I have to correct someone, and, and obviously I have the advantage of not having lived with them their whole lives. And so I don't, I'm not, I don't fall for their same tricks. You know, and I'm not impressed by the same things. I'm impressed by different things about them. Yeah. And so when they try and do their thing, it's like, I don't, don't pull that shit with me. <laughs> I'm not buying that. But at the same time, I see them in this very sort of unique, special way. And so I think it's just sort of coming in it with that confidence where it's like, I'm not trying to place their dad, but I am a dad to them. Yeah. And I have to be a dad to them. And I think that's, you know, I've been lucky that there wasn't a huge amount of resistance to that. Yeah. And remains, you know, and, and, and to the point when now when I know there is resistance to that, I know that I'm doing something right. So if they're pissed at me or irritated by me or don't like what I have to say or, you know, go silent after I say something at the dinner table, I know, okay, this is probably, I probably hit on something important that Gwyneth wouldn't be able to hit on with them, mm. you know, you know, and, and, and fundamentally to love them like they're mine because they are, mm-hmm. you know, and at the beginning you do that because they're an extension of you. Right? So they're an extension of you who I love so much, and so I love you, so I love them. And then over time, you really, I really get to truly love them. And have your own relationship with them. Own thing. And it's like, it's the best because I, I don't have any of the, like I said, there's none of the, none of the built up stuff that you get from. Yeah. And, and, and you know, your own kids obviously trigger you in a way 
that's severe because you're projecting your own shit on your kids or they have the same bad qualities you have, mm -hmm. right? It's like, it can be very triggering, but with stepkids, it's not like that. No, not at all. Not at all. Like I said, it's better because then like, you know, I, I'm just not, it's just all the, all the, all the, all the good stuff and the love and none of the, the bad stuff. And you know, yeah. That. Yeah. And what about you? You're a spectacular stepmom. Like, thank goodness for you. I don't know. You are. You know you are. My kids absolutely, I mean, I mean, you have a relationship with them outside of me. They talk to you all the time. They come to you for advice all the time. You know, I, they I, rely on you. I love them so much, and I, I think I feel the same way. I mean, but it's funny because I, I don't, there's just no playbook for how to do it, and nobody says, hey, you're going to be a stepmother. Like, I, I don't know, I think there's this, like archetypal evil stepmother and that, you know, this, this inference that from the kids or that, you know, it's going to be this fraught thing. And, and so I think I, I came into it on tender hooks, like, oh my gosh, like, you know, it's like, you can only kind of do the wrong thing. Right. That's, that's my only regret is that, you know, whenever it was, however many years ago when I was just like, fuck it. These are my kids. I love them. I'm not going to like be scared to discipline them or say, you know, like draw the boundary. That's really what shifted everything. I feel completely like. like I remember one time at dinner when you yelled at Brody about something and he was shocked for a second. And then he was so relaxed the rest of dinner. Cause like, <laughs> Oh, thank goodness. I'm just like every other kid here. It's like, she actually yelled at me for being an asshole. You know? <laughs> well, I think that would be my one if someone asked me for advice on it, I would just say, you know, from day one, just like really treat them as your kid, meaning don't, don't have trepidation because they're not theirs. And it's, you know, you, you don't have jurisdiction and God forbid, it's like, no, be your full self as a parent with all the love and all the acceptance and all the boundaries. Right. And like, I just wish I had done that earlier. It takes the time to learn. It's a lot. It's a lot. And it's, and it's, you know, I think there's blending families is what our, you know, our therapist, we share a therapist. We don't see them together. Sometimes we do. Um, Only when you're a real asshole. <laughs> says that it's actually completely unnatural to blend families. It's, it, it's not supposed to work. So when it does, it's incredible. Right. But, you know, right. I think that that's one of the things is that this is a very conscious, deliberate effort on our parts over years of time of yeah. working to get this right and to deal with our own shit to get out of the way in order to do this because there's so much and you have your own guilt about getting divorced and, and we, I mean, as a divorced parent, not you, we, and um, about wanting to do right by them and about the, worried for these kids and you also want to be so respectful of their kids other parent and make sure you're not stepping on anybody's toes. Exactly. But the truth is, you know, you know, the kids are very, very fortunate. I mean, obviously it's always better, I think, if two people love each other and have kids and keep loving each other and keep the family together. But I think our kids are fortunate that they have so many parents who absolutely adore them and love them and yeah. are all really, really different. And they can go to each one of them for something different, you know? So you were saying, you know, of course, in the ideal scenario, right, the two parents stay in love with each other and they stay together and, you know, the family doesn't have to disband. What is the upside of a second marriage? Like, you know, what's the silver lining there? Well, I mean, the upside for me is I get to marry to you. So that's, that's a lot of upside right there. Shut up. Um, <laughs> I'm a pain in the ass. You're really not. You're really a piece of cake. You're very, very easy. <laughs> really? Yeah. Yeah. You're super easy. You just need, all. the only thing about you is that you need to be seen and known and listened to and be made to feel safe. And it's like if all those things are provided for you and then you can be totally yourself in that space, then you're okay. I... Yeah, it really is. That is the truth. So that's easy. Okay. Right? Even when I'm in a bad mood. Well, everybody gets in a bad mood sometimes, especially when you're in a bad mood, though, right? They're very forgiving, honey. <laughs> but, you're, I mean, it's it's also, you're in a bad mood because something's going on, right? Yeah. You know, I don't. it's not okay when you, you know, snap at me. I know, I'm but sorry. then, but that's, but that's the, but that's part of part of being seen and being made to feel safe. Is sometimes I, I have to tell you, well, that's not okay. What you just did. Yes, thank you. I appreciate it. And that actually that. probably makes you feel safe because you're snapping at me. You're feeling unsafe. You're feeling freaked out. You're feeling upset. And yeah. so, what you need in those moments is to be contained, 
And so I think that's that's not that hard. It's not like you you have such massive flip outs and throwing stuff all around <laughs> that it's like uh oh duck and then tell her to hey knock that off. It's like you Can might you, you might just sort of snap about you know a door not being closed or something you know. Yes. So well you ask go oh, about second marriage. I mean certainly it's, it goes back to the age thing. It's like you know yourself and so you're making a choice really based on what you really want to get out of a relationship and why you're you're in it for the right reasons and you're obviously much more rigorous about making that choice you're going to be you're going to be make sure you're doing the right thing because you've you've made a mistake before for lots of reasons but whatever whatever it is it, it was clear like that didn't work and it was a very big decision i made it was who to marry and who to have kids with and that was not the right decision to who to be married to who to have kids with obviously is the right decision but who to be married to is not right, and so I need to be really sure I'm not doing that again in any way. And that requires a lot of, I don't know, accountability and work and understanding what unhealed patterns you were bringing to that. And so you think about two people who are coming from that place of accountability and all that stuff, like that's the, that's the foundation for a great relationship because no resentment ever builds up because anytime something comes up right away, you're like, you know, the first thing you do is say, was that me? Right? That's since we're usually in a younger relationship, you say, that's them. Right. First thing you do is that me, and the answer might be no. <laughs> right? And if the answer is no, great, because you know it's no. And then you can say, like, no, go fuck you. <laughs> but at least your first question is, is that me? And you know yourself well enough to yeah. say that's true. And if it is me, you say, shit, that was me. I, th- I wanted it to be her, but it wasn't. It was me. And then you, and then you can handle it in a different way. And so... You never get resentments built up, and that's what really wrecks a relationship yeah. is those resentments over time, as long as there's compatibility, right? And so mm-hmm. I think we've avoided those those things. And it wasn't like it was always easy. I think as you're starting a family and blending the family together, those things can can build up, and you are still burning off a lot of the, you know, the damage of your youth and of your, of your earlier relationships in the beginning of any relationship. But... Having a second marriage where you're you have somebody else who's totally committed and accountable, and you're older and you're more established, you're not as, as worried about are we going to be able to put food on the table, and you also just get a lot of time alone with each other because you have kids who are driving and going to do other things and out of the house, and so I think it's great. You know, I, I, it's not for everybody. Obviously, I think it's be- I think it's better, right? You want to just have that long thing with a person. I think a, re- a relationship that goes that long is great, but you know, we have the opportunity to have you know certainly have 50 years together, right? I hope Back so. Back to our wellness routines at least, right? <laughs> what do you think about second marriages? I don't know that I can broadly generalize, but I do think, you know, we were talking about this last night with Will, like the friends that I, you know, because I'm the same as you in that all of my old friends have basically married their college sweethearts and are still together. Or high school sweethearts. Or high school sweethearts. For me, it's more than my more college, but yeah, or like the you know the people they met in their twenties in New York and or in, from college and they're still together. And I think that what I have observed in all those marriages is that there there have been second marriages, but just with the same person. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And they have you know as the kids have gone through different stages, it's like they've taken the time to redefine like you know Jill from Spence like I remember her the first summer that she sent when all three kids went to summer camp and it was like this moment for her to completely reinvent her marriage and it was like it was her boyfriend all of a Mm -hmm. sudden and so I guess my point is you know you have to bring intention and whether that's in a real second marriage or where you're kind of like recommitting and you're and redefining in your first marriage, I think it's important to not take it for granted and sort of let it coast. And I think that idea of recommitting is something that's important to think about. You know, it's like, I feel like you and I are so actively in our marriage and we feed our marriage and our marriage is like this third entity almost that like encompasses us you know it's like something that Mm -hmm. we energetically i don't know it's like more than the sum of the parts or something you know it's like it's at the center of everything everyone else in our lives it's like that it's only only is able to thrive because our marriage thrives 
Right. I and I think we have deep appreciation for that. Mm -hmm. And we, we really look out for each other and take care of one another. And so I think that's absolutely feasible in the first marriage, a long first marriage or an either third marriage or a fourth marriage. But I just think it's the kind of the consciousness that you bring, right, to that appreciation that I think we have is possible in any marriage as long as you, you know, are conscious of it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's also, it's why you, I think, often call me your boyfriend instead of your husband. Because it's not that I'm not your husband, too. It's just that there's something much more young and exciting and fresh about a boyfriend as well. You know, it's like you're going to get all the best of all the worlds. Yeah. What are you looking forward to in the next, in the next 50 years? I, I need to figure out ways to slow down and take some pressure off myself, you know, because all of the pillars of my real life are so good. You, my friends, my children, you know, the spirit that I have of curiosity and wanting to keep learning and like I, that's a strong pillar in my life in and of itself you know but there's a lot of pressure and stress and and I would like to figure out how to downshift a little you know and really like let my nervous system calm down I feel like you're always a few years ahead of yourself like if you have an intention and so you always say that it always seems to be true, you know, yeah. is that you're always, if you start having a sense of I need to do this, it's like you, you actually start are, are putting things in place now to do that. So I think you're on the way to do that. And generally when you say you're, you're feeling like you need something, you, you, yeah. you do tend to get it for yourself. You're very good about that. I'm ready to move into, not, not today, you know, it's not like I'm retiring right now or this year or next year even, but I'm, I'm ready to start to allow the space to exist within which I can contemplate what the next chapter is. Does that make sense? Totally. What about you? I want to go on the Orient Express with you one night. Sounds really fun. Let's do it. I mean, is it fun or is it a nightmare? I've never done it, so I don't You're know. Like I mean, I mean, when there's uh, a train car all night. Obviously, if somebody's murdered on it, then it's less fun. <laughs> but, but yeah, no, that seems like fun. But, it, but that is what it is. I really look forward to, to really having adventures with you. You know. Yeah. What about? Do you have any work goals or like? I mean, sure. I, I, you know, I think so much of the last few years has been really trying to trying to work more independently and 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 you know find more opportunities to express my voice, my specific voice, a little louder. So I look forward to doing that more. Mm -hmm. I think I, the company that I sort of put together now has so many great people, and there's, like, there's a lot of possibility there and hope, and, and sort of the new show will come out next year, I think is, is sort of testament to that and a great example of that, but I want more of that. What's it called? It's called The Brother's Son, if we're selling. But it probably won't be out until July or, July or September or something, I guess. Okay. But it's going great. I don't know. I look forward to being... To us being the older people, you know, like to, to being the people that are the older, wiser people that, that are, are those people in those people's lives. I just remember the older people when I was younger and how much they meant to me and how an impact they had. And we are a generation where our older people were, were nuts and weird and great and like just completely messed up and loud and, and yet they were, they were, you know, so important so it's kind of nice to think of us as those people you know it's sort of like we don't no longer have to be the uh the loose skywalkers you know it's like we're just people come to us and we can impart our wisdom and be, and the, be, relaxed, Obi-Wans. be the obi-wans it's like what a relief you know i've never even seen star wars but i know that wow well that's the power of star wars isn't it so now we've established certainly on this podcast is you haven't seen jaws Correct. You haven't seen Star Wars. That's right. You've pretty much seen no blockbusters, apparently. That's not true. I've seen like a million blockbusters, like Back to the Future. I don't consider that the same kind of blockbuster as okay, Star what, Wars or what Jaws. Are, what are blockbusters? You saw Raiders, I imagine. Raider, I saw Raiders. But not the other ones. Or you must have seen I've Temple seen, of Doom. I've seen Temple of Doom. Okay. Have you? you I've have, seen all the 80s movies. 
Well, like the block. Well, you guess you saw Top Gun, definitely. Beyond, yes, multiple numerous times. times. Numerous times. You didn't see Avatar. Nope. You saw Titanic. I did. You're almost in Titanic. <laughs> Can you imagine if you? I'm sure if you're in it, then you wouldn't have seen it. But uh, why? Because no. I've never seen Avengers in those movies. <laughs> you also don't like watching yourself, though. Sometimes it's actually kind of fun when you. When I'm always in, in bed first, and so I flip around on cable because that's what old people do. You and sure I do. Often can find a movie with my wife in it, and I always stop. You're on usually it. watching something about World War II or like Roadhouse with Patrick Swayze. Because I'm a man of a certain age, is what I do. <laughs> <laughs> but it is weird though. Sometimes now that I'm so old, I go, when I see myself like in what was on TV the other night a few weeks ago. What were we like, watching? We it were, was, was so it, it was, surreal. It was either V from the top or it was... Shakespeare in Love was on a while ago and we actually watched it to the end and it was great. And you're so good in that movie. We uh, actually did watch it. But it, now, now it's so long ago that it doesn't even seem like me. It's like a weird <laughs> abstraction or something, you know? I understand that. I mean, it, it looks like you to me. It's hard sometimes to watch because you're sad at the end of that movie and it bums me out. But mm. Then but. don't watch Seven because... No. But the, I end up decapitated. Spoiler. <laughs> spoiler. Yes. I, I think I've seen, well, actually, that's true. No, I haven't seen a lot of movies, actually. You're very good. No, I mean, like, important movies. When oh, big like, ones. Oh, didn't you love Sunset Boulevard or whatever? And you I'm never like, saw Sunset Boulevard? No. Oh, we have to watch it. Is it good? It's incredible. Honey, thank you for being on the Goop podcast today. It's my pleasure. Talking to you is like, you know, obviously something that's always the highlight of my day, so... I hope it was someone interesting. It'll be your lowest rated podcast, I'm sure. It's like, who, who is she talking to? What is he, what is he in? No. Well, it's my favorite one. <laughs> All right. Love you. Love you. Thanks so much for joining our conversation today. I hope it might be a small reminder that knowing comes with time. Thanks for tuning in. This has been a presentation of Cadence 13 Studios. I hope you'll listen, follow, rate, and review all of our episodes, which are available for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Odyssey, or wherever you get your podcasts.